When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. your way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffin. Hello everybody, welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. It is shaping as a beautiful day here in Perth with a top of 24 degrees. There are people gathering on the lawn outside my window here between the stadium and the Canfield Hotel and they're standing around in the sun and it looks absolutely glorious. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Ute, and you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. And on behalf of Isuzu, here are four questions to four-wheel drive you to work today. Question one, if you are a West Coast fan, who wins your club best and fairest? I'm saying it is Tim Kelly. He's had a superb season but he's finished it with a flourish in the last two games with two of his best performances of the season against the Western Bulldogs and then Adelaide. I think he wins it, and I think Oscar Allen and Liam Duggan fill the other two spots in the top three. Allen's year and quality was underlined with him being nominated in the squad for the All-Australian team. 53 goals with the supply he got from West Coast this year, and they won the wooden spoon extraordinary effort coming back from that serious foot injury last year. I think Kelly's performances this year have me thinking about the trade the Eagles did at the end of 2019 to bring him to the club. And they ended up giving up the equivalent of three top-end draft picks to get him. And in the wake of the team's performances since then, the trade has always been viewed as too costly and a bust. And that it's one that has affected West Coast list management going forward. For what it's worth, here is my take on the Kelly trade. There were two things that had to happen for the trade to be a success. Kelly had to be one of West Coast's best five players because the money they were paying him indicated that he should be, and the Eagles had to remain as one of the AFL's best four or five teams. And that feels like a long time ago now, at the end of 2019, but if you remember back then, the Eagles had come off the 2018 Premiership and they'd bowed out in the 2019 semi-final against Geelong. And they felt they needed extra midfield oomph to extend their Premiership window. So four seasons after Kelly joined, it is absolutely possible to argue that Kelly has held up his end of the bargain. He has clearly been the club's most consistent and best player this year, and he finished third in their best and fairest last year. And the only reason the Kelly trade has failed is because the team as a whole didn't meet the level of performance needed to make the trade a success. The Eagles had to stay in contention, and they haven't. And there is a new challenge ahead for Kelly now to be good enough for long enough for the team to play finals again. And question two, I put this one to Josh Kennedy yesterday. I'll put it to the listeners today. If you are an Eagles fan, who do you want to be the next captain of the club? And for me, it's Liam Duggan. I know a lot of people would say Oscar Allen because he's regarded as the club's best young player and their most important player. 
and others might say Tom Barris because he's a little bit older and more experienced, and, of course, he is at the moment the reigning best and fairest. But for me, Duggan is the best natural leader that West Coast have, and he should finish top three in their best and fairest this season, which means that while he won't be their best player, he will be a good enough player to lead the club. I think the Eagles need a captain who will be able to drive but also to empathise with the club's younger group. And people at West Coast have always told me that Duggan works as hard as anyone at the club. He can be expected to set good standards, but he can also be expected to speak and relate to the club's younger group. And this has been a criticism of the club in the last couple of years under Adam Simpson, that the senior group and Simpson did not relate well to the club's younger group, and nor did they succeed in bringing them along with them. I think Duggan is the leader who will give them the best chance at rectifying that. Question three, there won't necessarily be a captaincy change at Fremantle, but who wins their best and fairest? And for mine, it will be Caleb Sarong, who has set the bar highest in what has in many ways been a disappointing season for the Dockers. And we'll have the club CEO, Simon Garlick, on a bit later to talk about the year and its ups and downs. So Sarong and teammates Luke Ryan and Luke Jackson were nominated for the All-Australian squad, but Sarong has been their best and most consistent performer all year. He leads the club in possessions, clearances, contested possessions and goal assists. That's a hell of a year and a hell of an across-the-board effort. He's in the All-Australian squad. Should he make the team? I think it's a pretty tough one. On one hand, when you look at those stats, it's hard to argue against him. He's been superb in the contest, and the goal assist column tells you that he's also been one of the team's most creative players. But the midfield in an All-Australian team is a tough nut to crack, and as a person that wants to see Fremantle get better, I see Sarong and Brayshaw as the players who will drive the standards that make them better, and I reckon that Sarong, as good as he has been, is not quite the finished product yet, and both he and Brayshaw can be more damaging with their possessions the shifting of Hayden Young to the midfield with his bigger body and his piercing left foot indicate that. Young's move there made the Dockers better and more effective at the back end of the year. Question four, off the back of my assessment of the Tim Kelly trade, if you are a Dockers fan, how are you assessing the Luke Jackson trade to date? And you have to measure it in a similar way to the Kelly trade. Jackson has emerged as a very good player for the Dockers this year He is in the All-Australian squad, proof of that. Does he make the team? Probably not. But he'll probably finish top five in the club's best and fairest and maybe even top three. Just as it has been sorry, for Kelly and the Eagles, who gave up top-end draft picks to get him, Frio with two first-rounders, and one of them is going to be pick five or thereabouts this year, The Dockers need to climb quickly back into contention for the trade to have worked. It's too early to pass any harsh judgments on it, but I think we would all agree the Dockers need to be back in finals next year. And speaking of trade value, if you are a Dockers fan, what will you want in trade value for Liam Henry? Fremantle will be doing exit interviews this week, and it is expected that Henry will want a trade to a Melbourne-based club. Hawthorne and St Kilda have been mentioned as clubs that have expressed interest. Henry was a top 10 draft pick. That was probably a little bit high for him at the time because Carlton List boss Stephen Silvani launched an early bid for him in the draft and the Dockers were forced to match it to get their own NGA product to the club. If a club came to the Dockers 
with a pick around the 25 mark for Henry. If you are a Fremantle fan, would that be enough to satisfy you? Give us your thoughts on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or call us on the open line on 13 12 55. We've got a great show for you today. As I mentioned, we've got Freo CEO Simon Garlic to talk through the ups and downs of the club season. We're going to talk to Code Sports Eliza Riley about the launch of the AFLW season this weekend. And, of course, it starts with a derby over here between West Coast and Fremantle. And we're going to talk to hockey Olympian Amy Lawton, receiver of an AIS scholarship later in the show. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We'll be back with Eliza Riley from Code Sports after the break. AFLW is in a really good spot. I love AFLW. That's where I started playing girls football and worked my way through to a club in its infancy of AFLW. So I think we, this, we're we often in a rush, and that's a good thing. That's why we get things done. But if we stop and reflect on the fact that we've got 540 women playing AFLW now, all 18 clubs represented, as you said, games being played in heartland venues all around the country it is just remarkable and we should be really proud of what we've been able to grow new afl footy boss laura kane with her take on aflw of course big start to the season coming up this weekend and in perth it will start with a western derby down at Fremantle. to talk about it Code Sports, Eliza Riley. She is the guru on AFLW and also WAFLW. Eliza joins me on the show. Welcome, Eliza. Morning, Dolph. Yeah, it's creeping up very quickly on us, but excited to kick off in the best way possible with a clash between the two cross-town rivals. So what do we expect from the two WA clubs this year, Eliza? It was a pretty ordinary season for them last year. Can we expect a spike in performance from either or both of them? Well, both of them have been on the record um, in an article I've written for Code Sports saying they both want to play finals this year, which for Fremantle is not the boldest sort of prediction or declaration considering they have been there, you know, four seasons in a row before last season when they were hit by massive injuries. And, of course, that sort of paved the way for the removal of Trent Cooper at the end of the season. But Fremantle still have the majority um, of that high top-end talent which can compete with the best sides in the competition, whereas West Coast Captain Emma Swanson was very sort of adamant that finals is the next step for the Eagles and considering the first four seasons they've had in the AFLW, she wasn't willing to hide the fact that it has been underwhelming and they have underperformed to date so far. So for the Eagles to be talking finals is you know, it, it makes sense, but it's going to have to be a massive jump because they only won the two games last season in a year where four expansion clubs entered the competition. So it's going to have to be a big jump, but they've got a lot of young talent to do it. So tell us who you think will jump up at West Coast that will help them do this or at least help them try to do this. Based on the pre-season matches we've seen so far, um, one to watch is Sinead Davidson. She's sort of been an injury interrupted player for several years now, was looking like she was going to finally come good last season, but then did her knee in a pre-season training match and has missed the last 12 months. 
she's worked extremely hard and um, has basically locked in a berth on the wing, which is a bit of a different position to what we've seen her play in the past. She's usually been a small pressure forward, but her running capability has really grown in the past 12 months, and we're about to see it on the wing. Ella Roberts is a name that would be familiar with anyone who follows AFLW. She's a, a rising star, was in contention for the rising star last season, but couldn't quite get it done. She's a generational talent, and I think she's going to do things on the footy field that we haven't seen yet in AFLW. And then one who's going to make her debut this weekend is Lauren Wackfar. She's a ruck out of South Fremantle. She played um, a really good top age year and did her knee, unfortunately, towards the draft. But the Eagles still rated her so highly that they used their second pick to select her in that draft. So she's done a lot of rehab as well and will make her debut on Sunday. Ella Roberts is an interesting one, isn't she? She's been spoken about, as you said, a generational talent. Where will she play and and describe her key attributes to to listeners? Well, the thing about Ella Roberts is she can really play anywhere. She's probably best suited at the moment in that lineup up forward because she's an incredible sort of overhead mark and kick. Her kick is incredibly accurate and powerful, so it makes sense to let her roam free up forward and be that sort of marking target and she kicked two goals in a practice match against Essendon. But she, last year, we have also seen her play on ball in the midfield and she can also play in the ruck and did so at junior level. So she can really sort of play anywhere. Um, But if I was West Coast, I'd just lock her down forward and let her kick as many goals as she likes because she has that talent. Now, obviously, at Fremantle, they've had a change of coach um, with Trent Cooper leaving and Lisa Webb coming back to the club. Um, What have you noticed about their playing style as different? So the things that we've sort of seen in their pre-season matches so far, which I think are going to take them um, forward and back into finals contention, is a mix of speed, skill and flexibility. So speed, we know the doctors have relied on that in the past and being quite a fast, nippy team who like to get sides out the back. So that's going to be a hallmark of their game again. Skills have come... um, They were sort of dropped a little bit off in that Collingwood game um, in the pre-season once they were under pressure. So they do need to make sure that doesn't happen in the heat of the moment once real games do start. But skill is sort of hitting targets, changing lanes, that sort of thing, which we've seen the better sides do in the AFLW. And then flexibility. Basically, you know, every player has your preferred position, which you'd rather them play if everything goes to plan. But every player essentially has a second position um, that they've trained in over summer that they can fall on um, and sort of switch the team around if they need be. Now, I think you mentioned in a recent interview you thought Dana East is one to watch. Any other young players you think can help take the Dockers forward? Another one who's received a bit of, um, a bit of, I guess, positivity around her heading into the season is Madeleine Scanlon. She was a mature-age draftee at the start of last season out of Claremont, um, sort of came to footy a bit later in her life but really dominated at Claremont in what turned out to be a premiership year for them as a sort of rebounding defender, intercept defender. She was picked up by Frio, played the four games, but unfortunately had her a wrist injury, which ended her season. But she's come back into the team. The 
been a really strong performer over pre-season and now has a lot of confidence in her own abilities. So someone like her in defence is going to be one to watch. Now, who wins the Derby this weekend, um, Eliza? Who do you like? I think I have to go the Dockers in this one. Um, obviously, the last time these two times two teams played, it was the closest margin we've ever seen in the Derby with just the three points separating them. But based on recent form, um, we know the Dockers are undefeated in Derbies. And in a pre-season clash between these two sides just a couple of weeks ago, Fremantle won by... 50-odd points, I think it was, in that clash. So it's going to be... I don't think it's going to be um, that favourable to Fremantle this time around. I think it will tighten up a little bit, but I still think the Dockers have enough um, to get it done and get that first win under Lisa Webb in round one. Because it's a compressed season, every one of these games is precious, isn't it? You just can't afford to drop one that you were expecting to win. Yeah, exactly. If you have one or two losses at the start of the season, you're already on the back foot and at odds with sort of fighting back into the season. Because, you know, it's all important confidence and building that really early on, which the Dockers didn't do last season and it cost them dearly. So across the competition, who are going to be the strong teams? Who do you fancy for finals and premierships? I think... When you speak of premierships, it's hard to go past the Demons again this season. Of course, they are the reigning premiers, but what they have done is kept the bulk of their playing list together, which some of the other top-end clubs over the past few years haven't quite been able to do off over the off-season, losing a few players here and there, um, have Brisbane and Adelaide. So those two sides, Brisbane and Adelaide, will be strong again, you'd expect, but the Demons who just have all the boxes ticked and the only real player they've lost is Daisy Pierce to retirement who, of course, is a massive hole um, with her leadership and skill on the field but besides her, they've managed to keep their list largely intact. The other one to watch um, is North Melbourne. They've sort of been building for a few years now, have been around the mark, but they really have um, some exciting young talent on their list to take that next step and really jump into contention rather than just making the finals. And Geelong and Richmond as well are two sort of young teams in that similar bracket have added a little bit of talent over the off-season and should play finals again. So we've talked about young players at West Coast and Fremantle that will be players to watch. Who are players across the competition we should be uh, keeping an eye on? Who that spring to mind when you think about rising star who's still eligible for that this season? Jasmine Fleming um, from Hawthorne, of course. Her, her surname will be um, very familiar to listeners with her dad, Damien, dominating the cricket scene for years. But she's um, played the nine games, I think, last season. So she's still technically eligible for the rising star. And with another pre-season and you know, a much more smooth one considering she was going through year 12 last season. She's expected to take the next step in the midfield for Hawthorne this season. And then another one to keep an eye on um, up at the Gold Coast is Alana G. She is another really exciting young top-end talent in the draft. Unfortunately, missed all of last season after sustaining a back injury, but she's been announced to make her debut this weekend. And, of course... 
Women's footy in Queensland is incredibly strong, isn't it? It's probably something that West Australians may not be aware of, but it's been one of the real boom areas for the code. And um, and I think the boom in women's footy up in Queensland has given the AFL great hope that uh, the, the men's, um, I guess, interest in, in um, AFL in Queensland will also spike. Yeah, certainly. I spent four years up in Queensland for um, university and work and the amount of girls jumping across to footy and deciding to play it for the very first time was enormous. I think the competition expanded from one division to three or four in the time I was there and just so many girls were taking that opportunity to, to play Aussie rules, which you know some of them were completely unfamiliar with and a lot of sort of, you know, athletic types um, making the jump across, which is probably reflective of what we've seen with Brisbane's list and Gold Coast in the first few years. A lot of really exciting, you know, athletes, but it's just adding that extra layer of footy knowledge and um, IQ, and then they, you know, can go a long way in the AFLW. Yeah, I remember watching round one, I think, of last year, which I think, Fremantle travelled to Brisbane and played Brisbane and it looked like they were almost like a next generation of AFLW athletes, the Lions girls. They were sort of, you know, taller and and uh, quicker and, and able to sustain running bursts for longer and it was a I thought, jeepers, they're going to be hard to they're going to be hard to top. Now, obviously, they didn't get there and win the flag, but they've certainly been a consistently strong team across the um, across the years of the the AFLW so far. How do you feel about the competition being launched at this stage, Eliza? We're we're on the cusp of AFL finals. We've had this conversation before, but do you like it now when the weather is better to play footy, or do you like it in summer when they have a window where they have the the code to themselves? Personally, right now, I still probably prefer the summer time slot, um, to be honest. Obviously, that might change. My opinion might change seeing another season in August right now. Um, and obviously, last year, we played the three seasons in the one year, so it probably wasn't the best test case when it came to whether this August time slot works, because there was a fair bit of footy fatigue by the time we were at this point last year. So I'm willing to give it one more go this August, but... If you ask me right now, before um, the season's even started, I'd probably tend to think that the summer time slot, there's just a little bit more excitement um, in the very sort of early stages of the year when, you know, that we haven't had footy for a few months and there is, um, you know, that sort of summer carnival-type atmosphere down at Frio Oval or Mineral Resources Park where you can, you know, enjoy these games of footy and then... Um, enjoy the sort of precincts after that. As much as, you know, we wanted to escape the heat because that was just completely unfair and we don't want girls playing in 35-degree heat at 12pm on weekends, I'd still probably lean towards the summer season, but we'll see how this one goes and whether that excitement in AFLW returns. Yeah, hopefully they they get it up and going. I mean, it's come so far and there's such a long journey, I think, still ahead and so much more upside about um, AFLW and I think that's the most exciting thing about it. Hey, interesting story that you've been covering for Code Sports and that's the battle uh, amongst WAFLW players to, to be paid. Tell us a little bit about that and where that is at at the moment. Yeah, really interesting um, push from the WA Football Commission to pay Waffle W athletes for the first 
first time, which, you know, six years into the competition's existence, there's no question around whether the girls deserve to be paid. It's just a matter for the clubs, which the majority of which are um, opposing this proposal, is the effect it could have on their bottom line. Because we know the waffle competition, some clubs are on their knees financially and just sort of scraping by each season. So to ask them to find you know, a couple, a few thousand dollars to pay female athletes each year is a big ask. But West Perth, they're the only club to vocally back in this proposal so far and they really want to pay their female athletes to reward their commitment. They've already managed to go out and find a sponsor to cover female player payments before any of um, decisions have been made. So they're calling on other clubs to get on their bike and go and find the money instead of complaining about where it's going to come from. Um, so it's a really interesting sort of talking point that female athletes just want equity, not even equality, because they're not going to be paid anywhere near what the men's waffle players are paid to start with. We're talking 50 to to $100 a game just to, you know, mark a starting point in the wake of the Matildas. Um, but definitely clubs pushing back. So does West Perth have any support amongst other WFL clubs at the moment, Eliza, or are they uh, going it alone? There was talk that East Fremantle had um, a board meeting last week and there was a bit of pressure from the players on their board to come out and support West Perth and we were told that that was the conclusion they reached. But we're still waiting to actually hear from them because they said they put out a statement sort of confirming which position they're taking on the matter. And they have a few female board members who obviously want to support this, um, but they haven't yet um, clarified their position. Eliza, thanks for joining us on the show today. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Look forward to reading more of your stuff on Code Sports and uh, all the best for the AFLW season coming up. Eliza Riley, you can read her stuff on Code Sports. Great young sports writer uh, covering AFL and also covering AFLW. What are your thoughts on the AFLW and the timing of the season? What are your thoughts on WAFLW players receiving some pay? And as Eliza stressed, not a lot of pay, just some pay to recognise their commitment to the game. You can give us your thoughts on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can call us on the open line on 13 12 55. We'll be back with more after the break. Ball's in his court, he knows where I stand, he knows where the club stands, and from what I understand is he's yeah, getting closer to making a decision, so looking forward to having a chat with him. Like I've said all along, I, I hope he stays, I think this is the best place for his development as we've seen over a number of years now, So, um, and I think this is the best place for his footy, so um, I hope he stays, but I don't really have an opinion on whether he's leaving or staying. Fremantle coach Justin Longmuir on the future of Liam Henry, widely expected to request a trade at some point over the next couple of days to a Melbourne-based club yet to be specified. Uh, As I asked you at the top of the show, give us your thoughts on what you think Liam Henry might be worth at the trade table if he asks for that trade. And we'll be asking Simon Garlick about Liam Henry when he comes in the show in a few minutes' time. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We'll be back with Simon Garlic after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Remember to shop winter at TKD. Well, it wasn't 
the season, I think many of us hoped for Fremantle, but there were some signs towards the end that they'd found at least some of their mojo again with some stronger performances in the last month of the year. And joining us on the show today, we have their CEO, Simon Garlick. He's been on the show a number of times. He's always good value, very informative. Simon, welcome to the show. Good on you, Mark. Thanks for having me on. So, mate, what happens at an AFL club when the season ends and then you've got to uh, – the, the rest of the season is going on with the finals and you've got to uh, – keep yourself occupied what does keep you occupied this week and in the weeks coming at Fremantle yeah I mean there's, there's plenty there's, it's, it's ne- there's never any, any downtime in an AFL club anymore Mark obviously if you just step aside from the AFL program for a moment we're gearing up to um, our round one derby against west coast of Fremantle Oval for AFLW team so there's, there's incredible excitement around that this Sunday it's Father's Day Mark I'm sure your kids will be taking you down to Fremantle Oval to watch the girls strut their stuff so we're very excited about that um, new program under a new coach in Lisa Webb um, expect us to play a pretty exciting brand of footy um, and we're really enthusiastic about what the girls can do over not just this season but in coming years as well too um, and there's obviously a significant amount just from a, a day-to-day business activity mark so no downtime from an AFL point of view as you can imagine um, we're looking to run a rule over everything you know I mean you're, you're in a constant state of review particularly when you haven't really had the year that you've had, um, you know, from week to week, you're looking at everything you can do to improve and get better. But from a, a playing group perspective, all of the, the guys will be in over the course of this week, um, working through both physical, um, coaching, every, every part of their, their game as they exit and we get the players on their leave as quickly as we can, but making sure we've done everything we possibly can over the week to exit him in the right sort of manner. So um, it's, a, it's a really big week this week in, in that sense um, before the, the coaches and the high performance and all the medical guys complete their stuff over the following weeks as well. So a disappointing year, obviously, after finals last year and a drop to, to 14th this year. What, what came out of it for you, Simon? Yeah, I think disappointing and frustrating is probably the, the two adjectives that come to mind um, readily, Mark, in the sense that yeah, we've set ourselves expectations. Um, we obviously made finals last year, won a home final. Um, and you're both more internal than anything else, but we understand external as well. We, we wanted to continue that momentum. Um, we obviously made some strategic decisions from a, a player personal perspective in India last year that we knew would make us um, a, bit, a bit younger and less experienced. And it's no surprise that that brought some inconsistencies during the year. It certainly wasn't something we planned on and, and absolutely expected to happen. We did everything in our power to try and avoid that, but it's it's um, not altogether surprising having said that. Um, so I think that it was interesting, Mark. I mean, you know, we beat last year's Premier, last year's Grand Final, the previous year's Premier all the way from home in a run in the middle of the year. Um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that we, we left one out there against Brisbane um, and we lost to them by three points and just again, didn't probably have that fluency going forward, and then even Port Adelaide, where you know they kicked their set shots and we missed ours, and you know a three goal difference could have been easily bridged. So they're two really teams, that are serious teams at the at the top end of the ladder. So our capability is is been on display um, at various times this year. The disappointing thing has been it hasn't been consistent. So. That'll be a real focus for us to ensure that we can um, get back to where we want it next year. Yeah, clunky start too, wasn't it? Uh, round two at mm. home against North Melbourne, that was certainly one you left out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Even though you made a case for round one, two, Duff, in the sense that we had 65 inside 50s, which is is a significant amount, and we just weren't able to capitalise. Um, and then, as you say, a really disappointing loss to North in in round two before we started. Um, you know, it started to build a little bit from there. But you know, it's such a fine line. Um, you, you drop a few games that you shouldn't, and all of a sudden you're right in that middle pack, and it's it's so competitive. And not only sides that have been consistent over the years, but sides who are tra- starting to build will readily take your spot. So um, there's no margin for error. We, we certainly know that. Liam Henry is a talking point at the moment that's widely expected that he will request a trade at some point over the next week or so. Where are you at with Liam and how would you handle it if there is a trade negotiation necessary? Yeah, so Liam will go through the the exit process like all the other players over the course of this week. Um, Yeah, our list management team will work through the decision that he and his management make over that period. And, And once we know what that is, obviously we'll work from there. Uh, Justin's been on record as saying how much we value Liam. Um, you know, he's a, he's a great young man, brings a lot to our, our group, both on and off the field. We've clearly invested a lot in him over the years. Um, and, you know, we're really starting to see that return over this last three months in particular. Um, you know, I think Liam and, and the coaches have worked on, on areas of his game that he needed to in the, in the first couple of years of him being involved in the club and then you've seen him over this last three months um, really shine in, in those particular areas but also just from an all-round ground game perspective so he's, he's clearly part of our, our starting 22 probably more so starting 18 over that period has has played some really consistent and and strong footy over that period of time um, so you know clearly it's our, our strong preference that Liam remains but we understand the game, this, the way this game works, and if, if it doesn't go that way, then we'll go to work and make sure um, that we do all we can to get the best outcome for the club. It's become a far more fluid player market in the last few years, hasn't it? It's almost like clubs are just going to have to expect to lose a couple um, along the way. But he does give you a point of difference, doesn't he? You're known as a little bit of a safe team with the ball in the hand. Liam will look in and try and bite something off, sometimes not with a good result, uh, but he does give you a point of difference. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and he's a he's a great character as well. Um, he's a, he's a, I love Liam. He's a he's a great young man. Um, we love having him around the place. And you know, as you say, I think he and a few of the other. I mean, Hayden Young's got that capability as to a, a number of our other players. But you're right, he does like to to take him on and by foot. Um, sometimes with great success, other times it can be heart in your mouth stuff. But you know, again, I think. He's in his fourth year of footy, so um, that's going to continue to improve and, and grow as he gets more, more experience over time. So we, we certainly hope that's with us. But as you say, um, there's less barriers for players to, to leave clubs. These the, the, the fluency of the, the player movement market is at its, probably at its, at its greatest point now. Um, so all we can do is build an environment where um, you know, players see success and we think we've got an incredibly strong core group of young um, talented players of great character who see where we're going and um, there's certainly a great opportunity for Liam in that regard. We we certainly hope he sees that um, and continues to stay with us. In the event that he doesn't, then we'll get to work. It's kind of underlined by what's happened with the 22 under 22 team and the All-Australian squad, hasn't it? You've got representation there. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. You, you, those sort of things are, are nice and feel like a bit of a uh, an affirmation, if you like, but... Um, you know, it doesn't change our, our strategy and what we've been looking to do uh, consistently. Uh, it's um, 
with, with the inconsistent performances and, and, as I said, the frustration that we and our supporters have felt this year, you don't like to, to bring it up because it sounds like a bit of a rationalisation or an excuse, but it, it is factual. I mean, the reality is we, we were less experienced than Hawthorne from a games played perspective on the weekend. Um, we, were, we were slightly older, uh, only marginal. And um, you know, of all the teams played this year, we were 17th from age and experience. And so that... that it shows the demographic of where we're at, and um, um, we're, we're incredibly excited about where we're going to we're going to be in, in years to come. Um, we're all bloody impatient, though, Duff, um, as an industry, but certainly as a club, we, we want to be we want to be playing the the pointy end of the season, probably in finals, grand finals, and winning premierships as soon as we possibly can. So that's our that's our overriding focus, as you can imagine. Are you happy with the first year of the Luke Jackson deal? Um, he has played very well. He's in the All-Australian squad. He, he showed incredibly exciting signs at the back end of the year, but it's probably going to sting a bit on draft night when uh, Melbourne reads out a picket around pick five, which was one of the, the, the trade picks that were given up for him. How, how are you feeling about the Jackson trade at this stage? Oh, I feel fantastic about it, Duff. It's, it's year one in a, you know, what we expect to be a 10 or 12 year uh, return on investment, if you like. And, you know, Luke's just turned, he's, he's, what is he, 21, maybe just turned 22. I don't have to check. I think he might still be 21. Um, so uh, we all talk about Ruckman and, and key position players um, um, taking a bit longer. So if he's showing this capability this age, which is what we you know, obviously did all that work on and believe he could be, then you know, the sky's the limit. With Luke, I think he got the most coaches association votes of any key position player. You know, as he made the All-Australian squad, um, showed durability, maturity beyond his years. He's a fantastic addition from a culture and character perspective. He's, his family, Mel and Steve, his parents, who couldn't be more invested in the club. Um, you know, we look at a whole range of factors when you do, you know, obviously pay a, res- uh, a reasonably significant amount to bring someone into the club and he's, he's picked every possible box we could hope him to. It's, it's, it's so early in that period of time, but um, we love Luke on and off the field and we think he's going to be a... Um, uh, uh, he's going to be a handful in years to come. I remember the Sydney game this year when he and Josh Tracy and Jai Amos you know, got hold of, of, of the Sydney back line. Admittedly, it was a bit undermanned, but, you know, that was the second game that those three guys had played together. Um, kind of looking forward to seeing what they do when they've played 40 games or so together down the track. It's going to be, um, we think, going to be pretty pretty compelling. It does beg a question about whether you're going to have a conversation either amongst yourselves or with another club about Sean Darcy. Does the club have a position on this or are they open to conversations about Sean Darcy? No, Sean's um, very, very much a required player. I talked about Luke uh, from a, on an off-field perspective, and it's very similar. Sean's an outstanding character. Again, comes from a great family, incredibly invested in the club, and just so happens that he's an absolute gun, Ruckman. And I think he's got the capacity to be the dominant Ruckman in, in the competition. He hasn't had a, an absolute free run at it from an injury perspective, um, you know, throughout his career, actually. So we... We can't wait for him to hit the preseason um, running. Um, they're different players, Luke and Sean. Uh, I think they can really complement each other. They get along like a house on fire. There's clearly capability that Luke's going to be able to go through the midfield when Sean's in it. But then having the option to have them separate and Sean's shown capacity from a, um, a forward, um, albeit with limited opportunity as well too, and we've seen what Luke can do on that front. So, um, no, we'll be, we'll be doing everything in our power. Sean's obviously contracted for the next year. 
we'll be doing everything in our power to make sure that Sean is a 250, 300-game player in purple. Um, we love everything that he brings to the club and, and look forward to him being with us for a long period. The two-year contract extension given to Nathan Fife and the fact that he has an ongoing battle with injury, Simon, are you comfortable with that? And where is Nathan at in terms of getting over those foot problems and, and being ready to, to launch into pre-season training? Yeah, I am. I mean, it's it, it's certainly um, the thing we look to try and do is ensure that everything we do um, gets a balance between making sure the player is is looked after, but it's in you know in the best interest of the club and on the on the club's terms to suit that, the organisation, and that's what this deal does. Um, you know, Fife he's had a wretched run as we know over recent years, um, but you know I also have a significant amount of confidence of the work he's going to do to ensure that he can he can contribute significantly over the, the next couple of years. Now, the, the, the challenges he's had indicate that you know, there might be some difficulties with that, but the, if he also has a bit of luck in running, we've seen whether they be international sports, men and women, but even on the local scene, you know, players playing well into their, their mid-30s. So it, it might seem a bit of a way off now, but you know, I'm hoping this isn't Nathan's last contract with us um, got to get through you know pre-season and make sure that he has a really strong 2024 obviously um, but he's fully invested you know spending a significant amount of time within the coaching group and around the players in this last six weeks of the season traveling in the state in the coaches box helping with opposition reviews you know guiding you know young mids and forwards so yeah if the investment level um, and engagement is anything to, to go by We've got a pretty determined Nathan Fife, and um, if that's the case, I reckon uh, there's still a couple of chapters in his, in his Fremantle story to be written. Justin Longmuir copped some criticism early in the season for being too safe and, and having a team that was too timid with ball movement. Are you happy with the way Justin has coached? He seems to have evolved a little bit with that as the season's gone on. How are you seeing his progress? Yeah, it's interesting. There's, there's a lot of There was a lot of opinions and perceptions around that. I, I, Ironically, during that time, we were one of the highest handballing teams in the competition. Um, and, you know, I think people saw that, particularly in a game against Brisbane at the Gabba, where whilst we got beaten reasonably soundly, um, you know, I think people believed that we were trying to take the game on in a, in a really aggressive and, and proactive way. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's personnel things that come into this. So the, the coaching group, you know, continue to look to evolve in every way that they possibly can. But, um, yeah, I think Justin's done a a really good job in a challenging year when we've all obviously understood that we haven't delivered to the the expectations that we had primarily. Um, But you've also got to remember, too, that we've got an incredibly young playing group starting to understand what they can do and and where they can take this this, this, this club and this team. So... um, I'm really excited. I think that one of the big frustrations we had was the opportunities that our game style allowed us to get that we just couldn't capitalise on. So we'd get forward to the centre and have good looks and opportunities, but just wasn't able to finish our work. So clearly that'll, I think, be a focus in the off-season. Um, and, and Justin, the coaching staff, will get into that as quickly as possible. One more before I let you go, Simon. Jai Amos. Um, not sure how he'll go in rising star voting, but uh, a hell of a season for a 19-year-old to kick 41 goals as your main power forward. Yeah, if um, the lobbying of the CEO has anything to do with it, he'll, he'll win comfortably. <laughs> but gonna, um, but unfortunately, I don't think that'll have uh, the desired impact that it, that, it, that it could. Um, no, it's a phenomenal 
Right, I was, I was actually, I mean, you know, 39 goals, 41 goals, it doesn't matter, but I was really pleased he got over the 40 mark. It just felt like a great number for, and reward for effort because he's quite unselfish too. You would have seen him a number of times um, when forwards might otherwise just have a ping. He's always looking to maximise the chances of us kicking a goal as opposed to it just being him. Again, absolute ripper of a, of a young man. Um, so diligent in his work. It's a bit scary too, Duff. He hasn't actually had an AFL pre-season yet. And he certainly didn't this year. Um, so, you know, him, opportunity for him now to have a bit of a break, have some downtime, but then come back and hopefully get a full pre-season under his belt. Um, Josh Tracy's another who, you know, progressed this year. Um, you know, so I think, as I said before, with Luke potentially coming in and out of there, Sean playing um, a strong 24-game home and away season next year, hopefully. Um, we think we've got a few threats and, and Jai's clearly a, a centrepiece to that. Simon, thanks so much. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, look forward to seeing the AFLW team go through their paces this weekend against West Coast. Hopefully both uh, WA-based AFLW teams have strong seasons and hopefully a lot of people get down there on Father's Day to have a look at it. No, I appreciate that, Duff. And don't forget Peel also playing Subi at um, Leaderville Oval on Saturday. So a lot of young Frio talent with our Peel brothers out there as well too. So we're looking forward to seeing them um, hopefully advance on Saturday also. Yeah, and it should be a cracker of a WAFL final series. Not much between the first and sixth teams this year. So uh, that is certainly worth a look. Absolutely. Good on you, Simon. Thanks for having me. Simon Garlick, he is the CEO of Fremantle, of course. Uh, they've had a frustrating season, but they're hopeful they can get back on track very quickly. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736, or you can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. We'll be back after the break. Yes, one of the great Australian jockeys, Damien Oliver, of course, has announced that this spring carnival will be his last. He'll be hanging up the hoops at uh, the age of 51. That was one of the most memorable days in Australian racing, of course. The 2002 Melbourne Cup and the runaway win on Media Puzzle in the weeks after the death of his brother, Jason, in a race fall. One of the great moments. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. You can see your Isuzu Ute dealer today. Well, Wednesday this week, the Sport Australia Hall of Fame announced its first round tier one of scholarship recipients for 2024. Six up-and-coming athletes announced as part of the Tier 1 scholarship. Each of them received funding to go towards resources associated with their sport, as well as a mentor from the country's most prestigious group of athletes, the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. And one of those recipients was hockey's Amy Lawton, and she joins us on the show now. Amy, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So congratulations on the scholarship. Tell us what it means. And as I understand it, your mentor will be Lane Beachley. 
Yeah, um, obviously it's an amazing program. Um, Sports Australia Hall of Fame has been um, working for many, many years now and supporting so many young athletes through the ranks. And obviously I'm super lucky to have Lane as my mentor. I mean, when going through the um, mentors available through Sarhoff, there were so many amazing ones, but she really stood out to me. So super honoured to work with her um, for the upcoming year. So how does that work, Amy? Explain the relationship you're going to have with, uh, with Lane to help you uh, further your career. Well, the weather's certainly warmer over here, but uh, you loved a lot of sports as a kid. You all, you tried football and triathlon and athletics as well as hockey. What made you settle for hockey? And what were you like at triathlons in particular? I've tried a few of them. They're not easy to do. <laughs> no, they're not easy at all. I mean, I kind of started doing them um, throughout the I was not very good at the swimming leg of it, so um, decided not to continue pursuing that path. Um, but yeah, hockey kind of stood out to me. I just love the community um, aspect of hockey. Um, it's a very strong environment, um, kind of both on the local level and on the international level. Um, so yeah, love that about hockey. And I think just the speed and skill required for the game is so exciting. And unfortunately, not many people watch it. So hopefully, kind of leading into Olympics, we get um, a bit more people on board watching hockey because it's super exciting. And yeah, absolutely. Love it. So, to the lay people out there, tell us about your position in um, hockey and, and what that means, the role you play in the team. Um, so, I'm a midfielder, um, usually play attacking mid, um, and yeah, generally kind of. Um, a lot of hard work to support the strikers um, kind of in our pressing and our outletting to help the defenders. Um, we're kind of just that glue that connects the lines, I guess, and try and support the team as we go forwards, but also working super hard in defence. Um, so, yeah, lots of running is probably the best summary of my position. <laughs> and you've been like a fast riser in the sport. You've been in representative teams pretty much all through your teenage years. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I, I've worked pretty hard, obviously, throughout kind of my few years playing hockey. Um, pretty much off everything that was out there to go for and was super lucky to have the opportunity to play in most representative sides. Um, and obviously debuting for the national team um, when I was quite young also was like a huge step um, in my career. And um, I've not looked back, I guess. I've been lucky enough to go to an Olympics, um, a Commonwealth Games and a World Cup in that time. And um, yeah, still looking for what's next. So hopefully a medal in Paris is what's come. So you were 17 when you made your debut for the national team. What was that like? Um, it was a crazy experience. Um, I was actually, um, after school, I was with my 
coach and actually mystical. Um, he texted me saying, hey, can you give me a call? And he's chatty and, yeah, he pretty much told me I was playing the next weekend for the national side. Um, it was a super special debut. Um, it was against New Zealand, in New Zealand on Anzac Day. Um, so a really special day for both countries and then um, even more meaningful for myself on that day, making my debut. And obviously a whirlwind of emotions, but super lucky to have that opportunity and, yeah, really excited, I guess, to be out there for the first time representing my country on that, on that international level. Tell us about the experience of representing Australia in the Olympics. Oh, it's so crazy. I feel like growing up watching it on the TV, it's just so different when you behind the scenes of what you see on TV. Um, so kind of being there also when I was quite young was such a crazy experience. Obviously, during the COVID kind of period, made it a little bit different to past Olympics. Um, but yeah, I was super lucky to go and had an amazing time there. Obviously, we didn't come out with the results that we were aiming for or hoping for, but I guess that put a bit of fire in our bellies for the next thing coming up, um, which was our Commonwealth Games and World Cup last year, which we did pretty well at in the end. So yeah, but again, an Olympics experience is like no other, really. And I was super honoured to be there representing the country. How is the build going for Paris now? Because obviously that's probably the next big event on the agenda, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And we've just um, finished our qualification series, um, which we won, which is great. So we've qualified for this, which is an awesome main kind of get back underway straight away. So we're all re-centralising super soon back in Perth um, and starting kind of pre-season now so that we're ready to get on the field um, early next year and get um, preparations fully underway. But we're super lucky. We kind of um, train together a lot of the time. So really it's kind of just putting in that final groundwork um, to put it out on the field next year. What sort of ranking will Australia take into the Olympics, um, Amy? Are we expected to be a medal chance or are we expected to be a gold medal chance? Um, I mean, it's always hard to predict those kind of things, but hockey has a really um, great history in hockey performance. Back in 2000, we won um, Olympic golds, and I think we've obviously not won gold since then, but we've been a top contending team for a while. Um, in the last couple of years, we've been ranked two and three in the world, so heading into that kind of year next year in those positions is super great. Um, obviously, we've got some super tough teams against us with Argentina and the Netherlands, but um, we always put up a good battle, and I think that's, you know, the fighting Aussie spirit in us. So I guess you never know. Hopefully up for a medal contention for sure, and, um, yeah, fingers crossed it's that gold medal one. Tell us about you're currently studying a Bachelor of Prosthetics and Orthotics in Perth because you like the Paralympics. Tell us about your interest in that and and what sparked um, that. Yeah, well, obviously, like I said, watching the Olympics came with also watching the Paralympics. Um, and I was super inspired by um, all the athletes in both games. And I felt that was such an awesome opportunity to try and help um, people both in sport or just in life um, by doing prosthetics and orthotics. So that's kind of what inspired it. And um Slowly ticking through the degree, obviously it's a bit tough um, whilst trying to compete on an international stage, but um, absolutely loving that challenge and um, um, hoping to get that done in the near future. And what's the, new, the next um, event on the agenda for, for yourself in hockey? So we've got our um, Hockey One League, which is our Australian National League, um, pretty much state versus state um, AFL-like um, league coming up. So that will be really important for us um, in our states to kind of 
show what we're what we're up to and um, put ourselves up for selection for the national squad again next year, and then um, into preparations pretty much for Paris. Um, I'm also super lucky that I'll be going to the Junior World Cup hopefully at the end of the year, um, which will be an amazing opportunity in a different way for me, kind of as a more senior player in that age group, um, again on the international stage. So lots of hockey, but all very exciting things. Amy, we wish you all the best, obviously, for the upcoming tournaments immediately and then with the grander plan for the Olympics next year. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Congratulations on the scholarship and hopefully it goes well for you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Amy Lawton, of course, Olympian, hockey star and uh, the recipient of an Sport Australia Hall of Fame scholarship announced this week. We'll be back after the break. You're going to need a bigger boat. The meeting was about how to, how, what the termination payments would be for Adam Simpson. And I think uh, the West Coast Eagles board has acted really honourably every step of the way on all this. And ultimately, they worked out what the payment would be, considerable, be in the millions of dollars, plus the fine that would probably come at the other end for the soft cap. And then they started to have a good look around, uh, remembering that the, you know, the week before the Fremantle, everything was going OK. The week after, everyone panics. And when you get flogged by the opposition, you know, I know what I've been like when we, we cop some whackings from Carlton when I was president of Collingwood. Uh, you know, it's a tough, tough situation. And you really have to go inside yourself. And Paul Fitzpatrick, I think, has handled himself really well. He didn't speak to anyone. I, I rang him up, uh, and I know Paul. Um, and he said, no, look, I'm not going to talk about anything to do with the West Coast Eagles until the end of the season. So that was good. He held his line. And anyway, in that period, I think they worked out that, well, we liked Adam Simpson for a lot of these reasons. And uh, who do we go and get? Does that destabilise the rebuilding process? And at the same time, we're going to, you know, it doesn't matter how rich you are, $4 million is $4 million, et cetera, et cetera. So... Uh, in the end, uh, there was some soul-searching. Um, there was a bit of uh, people revolt, if you like, or at least people support for Adam Simpson, which makes it a lot easier if, if the supporters and the board and even the media are on the same page these days. Yes, former Collingwood president, of course, media magnate Eddie Maguire talking about his reporting of the Adam Simpson saga and how he viewed uh, how the Eagles board came to... Uh, well, allow Adam to continue, basically, and uh, into the last two years of his contract. And I think I didn't... Of course, Eddie was on Scotty and Goss for breakfast this morning. I didn't agree with absolutely everything Eddie said, but I think he got the end of it pretty right. I think that um, there was never a point where Adam Simpson didn't have the numbers Mm. from the Eagles board, but in the wake of the 101-point loss to Fremantle, things did get pretty wonky. Mm. And I think Adam Simpson sensed that, and uh, he wanted clarification from the board or clarity from the board as to what it was going to mean for him and whether he's going to be allowed to continue. And uh, the fact that that clarity didn't come immediately probably told you that they wanted more time to think about it. And Mm. so his position at that stage was in doubt. Um, Now, the interesting thing, and I suspect this is what sparked the feeling in the media that he was absolutely gone, and I must admit I felt that he would be replaced. Mm. That was my view of it. And I, I felt that they would make the decision um, to replace him. Um, so I wasn't shocked when they went with him, but I was, I was, I was a little surprised. It mm. wasn't what I was expecting. But I think what probably triggered the media frenzy is that they would have, as part of their due diligence for a termination payment 
for Adam Simpson just mm. to find out what it would cost, what they would have to do and what the full implications of it would be. Mm. They would have had to have met with the AFL to find out how the AFL would have viewed it mm. and what um, slack, if you like, they could have been cut if they went over the soft cap, just so they got a clear picture of what it meant for them financially. And when you say view, um, as in like AFL getting coaches sacked or the amount of money that would have to be paid out? Yeah, so, so basically what happens is you pay Adam Simpson his contract mm. and he is denied the opportunity to fulfil his contract. So you'd have to think that's pretty much full toad odds. Okay. So whatever Adam Simpson was being paid a year, it's two times that. Okay. So that's probably somewhere between $1.6 and $2 million. Mm. And then what does that mean for your soft cap? You go to the AFL and you say, well, we think this will put us this amount over our soft cap. Mm. Can you help us out with that? Or are we going to get full fines and penalties mm. as a result of that? And then you do the math and you work out, okay, it's going to be, I think the figure that Eddie used in his interview with Scotty and Goss was about $4 million. I heard figures as high as six yeah. and figures as low as three. So mm. he's, he's somewhere in the middle of all that. Um, and then they have to sit down and decide whether they sack him or not. And, of course, then there was the win over the Bulldogs. <laughs> there was a reasonable performance against Adelaide. I wouldn't call it a great one, yep. but a reasonable performance. And they arrived at the view that they should go with him. Um, I spoke to a couple of people on the board since then. Um, they said it was a tough call, um, but they believe it's the right call. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see how it moves forward, but there's going to be um, something that needs to... Are we going to see something from the outside that sort of allays some of the fears of his coaching methods or perhaps what we are starting to um, form an opinion on that he's lost some of the players or that he's not a development coach or something like that? Are we going to have to see something from the outside tangible to believe that it is changing, it is happening, or is it purely going to be wins and losses that he's judged upon. It won't just be wins and losses. It can't yep. be. I mean, if it's wins and losses, you might as well sack him now yeah. because they're going to have a tough year mm. next year. Um, but a good text come through on the temper at Bedshed text line from uh, Tony from Perth. Hey, Duff, your continuing assertions that Adam Simpson as a coach can't develop young talent is ridiculous to say the least. So what you're saying is that players like Alan, Duggan, Ryan and the like all develop themselves as players and the recent ones, notwithstanding the personal tragedy suffered by Bazo and True. I would think that players like Bailey Williams, Hoff, Long, Jinby, Hewitt are tracking along okay. As Jared Healy said to you yesterday, you need to have elite talent to develop. It's a good text, Tony, and I take your point, but what I would say is that the information that Adam Simpson is, people are questioning his ability to develop players, that comes from inside the club. Mm. That's not just something I've made up. Um, Adam Simpson's been there for 10 years. Now, in 10 years, the guys you've named over a 10-year period that are basically somewhere near the finished product are Duggan and Allen. Now, Liam Ryan, I'm not giving you because Liam Ryan arrived in 2018. Liam 21. Ryan yeah. arrived in the waffle yeah. as, a, as a player who'd been old enough to escape from East Fremantle's junior zone. He played two years of senior footy at Subiaco. So he's in his early 20s yeah. by the time he arrives at West Coast. So, and, and the other thing I'd say about Liam Ryan is Liam Ryan is exceptional hmm. natural talent. Yeah. I mean, basically, with Liam Ryan, you get him to turn up at the right place at the right time wearing the right uniform and let him go. And there might be some things you have to do within the structure. Yeah. Um, but um, I think you certainly give him Oscar Allen. You certainly give him Liam Duggan. But the key to being a good development coach is getting the players around the fringes. 
So he will be judged, I think, as a development coach on the continued improvement of Bailey Williams, the continued improvement of um, Hoff, mm. um, Jinby and Hewitt obviously going forward. But I expect Jinby and Hewitt to be good players anyway. Yeah. Just as Oscar Allen was always going to be a good player. I mean, Oscar Allen has been played everywhere but where he's designed to play and he's still turned into a great player yeah. and gone back to where he's been designed to play and become a great player. He was just always going to be a great player. But it's the ones in the margins Mm. that decide whether you become a successful development coach or not. And I suspect there's a few of them have slipped out. And there's certainly people inside the four walls Mm. at West Coast that believe that there could have been better things done for a few blokes. And the blokes I'm thinking of are guys like Harry Edwards and Xavier O'Neill and Josh Rotham and this ilk of player. They're the guys who... You want them inside your best 22, but they may only be just inside your best 22. Yep. The elite talent will always be the elite talent, but it's the others that decide how far you go because they're the ones that decide your depth. Aren't the flags decided on the bottom six? Not necessarily. Sometimes, I mean, there are, that's that's one theory. Yeah. It was certainly the theory that prevailed in the 90s. There's also yeah. people that say it's your top six that matters and the rest of them are just out there running around playing roles. Okay. Yeah, right. So there's very different theories on, on, on that one. Yeah. But, but there are question marks inside the four walls at West Coast on Adam's ability to develop young talent. And Adam can prove us all wrong. Mm. Uh, if he brings these guys through and they become a strong and functional team, then we'll say, you know what, there was that question mark and he's ticked that off mm. in spades. Mm. I mean, what would it say for his legacy if he does go on to do that? Already, um, already a premiership coach, you know. Um, outstanding. Yeah. You go to a new level. Yeah, when you do definitely. That. If yeah. Adam Simpson gets this team through this and back into contention, back into finals, back into the top four, you go to a new level mm. as a coach. Yeah. Now, right now, his brand has taken a fair bit of damage mm off the last two years, but that will more than repair his brand mm. if he manages to do that in the coming years. We'll wait and see. Let's hope he does. Yeah. It'll be great for WA footy Absolutely. if uh, West Coast can get up and going again. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736, or you can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. Great chat earlier this hour with Amy Lawton, of course, who's just received a scholarship from the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. That chat brought to you by Advanced Hair, the number one go-to for hair loss restoration by sportsmen around the globe. And after the break, we'll be talking to Brett Phillips to recap on the second night of the US Open, which... Hasn't been a great day for Australia, I have to say. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Remember, shop winter at TKD. Well, Brett Phillips has been watching and keeping a close eye on day two of the US Open. Uh, Remember that it is now streaming on Stan Sport. Every match ad-free, centre court in 4K, and thanks to the Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, AATC.tennis. Good morning, Brett. What's been happening over there? Yeah, plenty uh, dust, certainly on day two. Not the the greatest day for the Aussies. Obviously, we started with uh, eight. Uh, We were guaranteed one loser because two were playing each other, but... Look, the good news, Alex Dimonor, our top hope, the world number 13, uh, got through to the second round. He did drop a set 
to um, Timothy Skatov of uh, Kazakhstan, who are certainly building as a tennis nation, let me tell you. Uh, he's 129 in the world, and many people would have thought, OK, on paper, Alex should win that comfortably. But, you know, the margins in tennis are, are pretty small. All these guys can play at a really good level, and it's consistency that, you know, really separates those at the top. Look, for the best part, he was pretty solid, Demon There was just a little lapse. Uh, the way he reset, though, and got the match back on his terms was uh, terrific. So good to see him uh, tick one box out of that all-Aussie affair. Chris O'Connell today played a terrific match, the uh, the Sydney sider. Uh, you know, 69 in the world coming in. So he's had two really, three good years of being inside that top 100 next objective to try and crack the top 50. So if he's going to do that, you've got to win these Grand Slam matches. So he looks at Max Purcell, he's 43 in the world. He knows Max really well, uh, both from New South Wales, uh, you know, trained with him a lot, and that's where he wants to be. So he came out and sort of played like that today, and his uh, first serve percentage was high. He won a truckload of points off that serve. His net play was terrific. He's always had a beautiful single-handed uh, backhand, which can, you know, blow apart... Uh, blow open about rallies, and Max was just a bit off. So O'Connell jumps up to 61, but he's now got to face Daniil Medvedev, uh, the champion of two years ago. So the assignments don't get any easier up against the world number three, who today won his match 1-1 one, one and love on uh, Arthur Ashton just over an hour. So uh, that was quite ridiculous. Uh, the other Aussies, just a quick snapshot. Yeah, Kubla had to retire. Uh, left leg issue, had strapping all around his knee, uh, Jordan Thompson had to retire with a left Achilles issue. James Duckworth went at him straight, uh, had two set points in the second set tiebreaker, couldn't get it to a set apiece. And the most disappointing loss of the day was Thanasi Kokonakis, who is just sort of in a little bit of no-man's land at the moment. It's great that he's inside the top 100. He's probably not making the progress he would like, and he should be up around where these guys are in the top 50. And you know, he had a really winnable match against a guy who'd never won a Grand Slam match before, uh, Shu of uh, Taipei, who played Demonor in the first round of the Aussie this year and lost. So, yeah, it's, uh, he's got a little bit of sort of thinking to do, a little bit of pondering to do with Thanasi. He doesn't like being away from home for long stretches. That's been a, certainly an issue, which is tough in a global sport and where we are geographically. And if you're going to you know, play well at these tournaments, Mark, you've got to stay on the road. You can't be coming home. In between, that takes a fair bit, bit out of you, the travel, but, yeah, disappointing loss, no doubt. Andy Murray on one hip continues to astound us. His 200th <laughs> Grand Slam tournament win. Brilliant. Yeah, we were covering a bit of that match this morning, and he uh, he, he was terrific. Uh, he, he was, I think it was 5-3 down in the second, and then he... Um, he managed to take that second set, and I'm thinking, Andy doesn't want to be out here in the humidity of New York playing a five-setter in the first round at the age he is. And with all those uh, ailments that you mentioned and you know, the double hip surgery the last few years, and now through to play Grigor uh, Dimitrov. So, you know, Dimitrov's sort of been forgotten about a little bit. He's still such a, you know, a skillful player, you know, nicknamed Baby Fed all those years ago. Uh, got to world number three. So it's going to be great to see them both in the, the next round. And yeah, it was a terrific performance. The other, uh, if we can you know, politely say, the other old dog in the field uh, today, uh, Big John Isner, the uh, the tallest man, the man who served the most aces in the history of the game in his final tournament at 38, uh, winning through in straight sets, John Isner. Played his first US Open back in 2007, so he's trying to have a bit of a fairy tale finish. What about the big guns? What's happening with them? Yeah, just watching Alcaraz at the moment. He's uh, he's comfortable. Uh, he's going along beautifully. 6-2 in the first up against Dominic Kopfer, the lefty from Germany. 
Uh, Yannick Sinners just won through in straight sets comfortably. Medvedev, as I mentioned, uh, didn't even raise a sweat uh, earlier today. Uh, Jessica Bagula looked good on the women's side. Uh, number three seed, and she won in just over an hour. And she's a good player, Bagula, and it's been a great rise the last three years, but she's got to get past that quarterfinal stage. On Jabir, last year's finalist. Of course, she's made three Grand Slam finals. Had a little bit of a scare. Tough match. Had some breathing issues earlier in her match. She had the blood pressure taken, but she got through against Osorio of Colombia in a couple of really tight sets. So, yeah. And we lost the seventh seed in the women's, uh, Caroline Garcia, uh, following the eighth seed, Maria Sakari, bowing out yesterday. So, yeah, a couple of the top women out. What are you looking forward to over the next day, Brett? Yeah, three Aussies tomorrow. So we're always hoping for as, as much Aussie success. Uh, the draws are tough, certainly for the two women. I mean, Isla Tomjanovic, in her second match back for the year, has got to play Elena Rybakina, the fourth seed. And, of course, Daria Savile's got the world number one and defending champion, Iga Sviantek. So, you know, the reality of that is they're going to be up against it. Look, Dasha, though, uh, she was quite uh, cheeky when asked how she would take on Iga. And she said, look, just, I just pray to God I don't get double bageled. And she said it with a laugh. She's got a good sense of humour, Dasha. But, look, she'll make Iga work. That's the DNA of Savile's game. She'll make you play as many balls as possible. So I'm fascinated to see how that goes. And, and Ricky Hidjikata has got a match he could win against Marton Fucevic. Loves getting the top off, Mark. I mean, he's got the best rig in the game. He's as <laughs> fit as anyone going around. He's never quite had the... If he had the consistency to match that frame, which we're all jealous of, he'd probably be world number one this man from Hungary. And we'll see how that one fares tomorrow for Rinky. Maybe he needs more time on the practice court and less time in the gym. Brett, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the show today. We look forward to your regular updates from the US Open. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure. Brett Phillips from SEN's The First Serve, first serve sorry, and a reminder that the US Open is now streaming on Stan Sport. Every match, ad-free, centre court in 4K. We'll be back with more after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium, looking out the window at the sun shining over the Canfield Hotel. It's a beautiful, beautiful day in Perth, a lovely place in the world to, li- to live. And don't forget to shop winter at TKD. Paul Heath joining me in the studio. Heater, we've Duff. got a few texts to get through that have come through on the temper at Bedshed Text Line. We do. We also have a tweet here. So you can, uh, remember, you can also tweet us at, at SENWA Mornings. Uh, this one from Jason saying, so if Henry wants to leave, how about we trade him to the Bulldogs for Bailey Smith? Nice idea to float anyway. Sounds fair to me. Yep. Where do we sign? Where do we sign? <laughs> We're doing that one. We're doing that deal right now. I Go had on. one earlier in the week I wanted to ask you, but if the Dockers can get themselves into a position with any pick that starts with two, you make that deal don't you? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Hopefully two with a low number next to it, but yep. but I think uh, anything mm. under 30 is probably a deal they're going to have to accept. They'll, they'll be pushing for probably late teens. Yeah. But um be interesting to see if anyone wants him that badly that they'll be prepared to come with that. Uh, yeah, Carlos always uh, <laughs> comes with a bit of attitude. Smile. Uh, about Simon Garlick's uh, interview. Excuse marathon from the CEO. You didn't really put him to the sword now, did you? With a G Duff on <laughs> at the start of that. Carlos, let me explain my interview technique. I ask them, they answer them. <clears throat> yeah. I ask the questions I think the listeners will want to uh, know the answers to. Mm. I don't waste my time trying to argue with them. That's mm. not to say I've never had an argument during an interview, mm. but um, my job's to ask, their job's to answer. Yeah. And I think we uh, were asked and answered uh, in that interview as well. Uh, Leon from Hocking saying, I'd be happy with 25 for Henry. 
Yep. Me too. I'm potential, maybe worth a high teens, but realistically has only come good second half of this year. He's leaving, so a second round pick would be a fair outcome. Um, morning, Duff uh, and team. Happy hump day. Agree with you, Duff. Ferris and best, Tim Kelly. Next captain, Liam Duggan. Most improved uh, player is Bailey Williams. Uh, also saying rising star is Will Ashcroft from Mitch Owens and also Dry, Dry Amos. That's Lisa from Allenbrook. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't argue too much about that. I really liked Owens. Mm. Now, whether he's been strong enough in the back half of the year to get that done, I think Harry Sheasel appears to have made a big impression on the East Coast. So don't be surprised if he's the bloke that tops the poll. I'm just trying to remember who the voting panel is for the rising star. Um, so what have we got there? Kevin Sheen, Nathan Buckley, Jude Bolton, Kane Corns and Abby Holmes. So a good uh, spread all across all of Australia there. Oh, no, wait a sec. No, they're all uh, yeah, pretty much in Melbourne. So I guess you can probably you know, put the glasses down on who they're going to select for the rising star. Wouldn't Great. be looking outside of uh, Victoria. Graham from Padbury uh, has got an interesting bolter for the JW medal. Kelly to win from Allen, then Duggan, Bailey Williams too. Uh, top five, sorry. Yep. And Jinby a sneaky chance. So Jinby a sneaky chance for top five. Mm. But probably Hunt due to games played. Eleanor Duggan, captain, with how each conducts themselves through what will likely be a team-defining preseason to be the determining factor. Graham from Padbury. A good one from... Uh, no name, actually. Duff, I'm messaging from Neerham, South Gippsland, Victoria. I'm a Victorian West Coast supporter. Who are you hearing from over there in the West with regards to senior assistant coaches? I've heard the names of Stuart Jew, Ash Hansen, and possibly Andrew McWalter if he misses out on the Richmond job. I would have looked at McWalter, you know, for the senior job mm. if he um, if he hadn't got the Richmond job, if he doesn't get the, the Richmond yeah. job. So I think he'd be a great senior assistant. I think there'll be more clarity on this um, after the John Westfall medal because um, I think that's when we'll see mm. who is shifting and who is staying. We're hearing that Daniel Pratt is going, though. Mm. Time for a ladder update, uh, Duff. Uh, thanks to Class uh, class Harvison handles your crops with ease. I thought we'd have a look at the waffle table because it was exciting to see who got that fifth spot and uh, made their way through to the finals. East Fremantle uh, finished in top spot, minor premiership. They get the week off this week. Subi in second. Uh, third was uh, Peel Thunder. Fourth, East Perth, who actually went down in the last game to West Perth, who needed to win to try and get into fifth. But Claremont, of course, defeated Perth, meaning they take home the uh, fifth spot. And that means coming up this weekend, we've got two great finals in the waffle competition. On Saturday, Subiaco versus Peel Thunder. Which way would you lean in that one, Duff? Um, if Peel's loaded up mm. with AFL boys, probably Peel. Probably Peel. And then the Sunday match uh, is uh, East Perth taking on Claremont. Uh, I like East Perth. In that mm, yeah, I would too as well. Uh, that's the ladder update. Thanks to Class. Class has everything you need to harvest and handle your crops with maximum efficiency and ease. It's going to be a great uh, waffle uh, yeah, end of season, isn't it? I, I reckon it's going to be a cracking final series. Hey? Yeah. I reckon that there's so little between uh, top spot and sixth spot. And West Perth, I reckon the other five teams will be very relieved that West Perth didn't yeah. get there. Well, Claremont will be because it would have been their place that they took. But I think the other teams will all be very relieved. West Perth came with a rush at the back end of the year. Just left it a little bit too late. And good luck to our AFLW teams. Of course, the big Western Derby down there at Fremantle Oval on Sunday. Get along and see the girls play. Should be a great season. Thanks for joining us, Hita. Thanks for your help. Thanks, Steph. Justin out there in the production room, thanks for your help. It's been a great week. We'll be back on Monday to talk 
More footy and more sport on Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA.